Welcome to 45 Forward, the beginning of the rest of your life. Each week, host Ron Roel and his guests discuss topics of interest to many listeners in their 40s and beyond, including retirement, caring for aging parents, health, lifestyle, and more. It's time to think ahead to the next half of your life, and we'll help you plan it with ease. Now, here is Ron Roel. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of 45 Forward, where our mission is to help you, our listeners, from Los Angeles to Long Island, make your second half of life even better than the first. Each May, we commemorate Older Americans Month. Ever since President John F. Kennedy issued a formal proclamation in 1963, asking the nation to encourage and recognize the countless contributions that older Americans make to our communities. This year, the Administration for Community Living, an agency of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, known as ACL, will lead the observance of Older Americans Month with the theme, Age My Way, focusing on how older adults can plan to stay in their homes and be involved in their communities for as long as possible. In today's episode, Rhonda Schwartz, a regional administrator for the Administration for Community Living, will explain the agency's broad mission to maximize the independence and health and well-being of older adults and people with disabilities, as well as their families and caregivers. Indeed, all people, regardless of age and disability, deserve to live with dignity, make their own choices, and participate fully in society. This is also the 10th anniversary of the creation of ACL, and Rhonda will discuss how the agency has evolved over the years to more fully integrate its work for both the aging and disabilities communities. She'll talk about the agency's approach to promoting planning, participation, accessibility, and making connections, all of which play a role in aging in place, emphasizing that what each person needs and prefers is unique. She'll explain how the pandemic affected delivery of vital ACL programs and services, and how the agency has adapted and continues to deal with the challenges of social isolation, stress, and mental health. And Ron will weigh in on the agencies and her own efforts to reframe how we view aging, to recognize how older people not only contribute to the economy, but offer wisdom, their time, experience, and talents to enrich the lives of those around them. So now, Rhonda, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ron. It's great to be here. Great to have you. So, Rhonda, there's a lot to talk about, about ACL and about Older Americans Month. But I'd like to start, too, you know, my show is 45 Forward, and I, I find that um, not only do my guests have a lot to say, but they've had interesting lives. And uh, so why don't you just, why don't we start off by telling us how you came to your current position? Because it's an interesting winding road you've taken. I'd be happy to do that. And that's exactly the phrase I was going to use, a winding <laughs> path that I took to get here. It was not a straight line by any means. I started out working in my career as a, an attorney in private practice. I was focusing on commercial real estate work uh, in New York City, and I enjoyed it for a really long time. I enjoyed it quite a bit. And I worked with some great people. The people were fabulous, um, who I had the privilege to work with. But over time, I just started to feel somewhat less fulfilled by my work that I was doing. And 9-11 happened. Um, and then about six months after that, my grandmother passed away. And that was wow. the first relative who I had lost as an adult. Um, and that really affected me. And I just really started thinking about what I wanted out of life. Um, and I said to myself, I was going to be approaching 40. And I said to myself, if I wake up when I'm 50 and this is what I'm doing, I think I'm going to regret it. <laughs> 
And I yeah. just really, you know, spent some time thinking and I was, I had been doing a lot of volunteer work throughout my life. So I would do it on the side, you know, as an outside interest, um, as an aside to my legal work. I even as a, as a, in high school for my, we had to do a senior project and for my senior project, I volunteered at a nursing home and some of the volunteer activities that I participated in throughout my legal work were activities that were related to aging and older people. And I knew that was where my interest was. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, instead of just doing public interest kind of activities as a hobby, kind of on the side, I decided I wanted to transition into that full time. Right. And I even went to meet with a career counselor thinking maybe they could give me some advice. And I was a little shocked because the career counselor made me feel as though it was getting late in life for me to think about making this career change. And I honestly thought that was ridiculous. I was, you know, just about 40 years old. And why can't I make a change in what I do? I didn't think that was reasonable. So I stopped talking to that career counselor and just started talking to other people and getting some ideas. And given my interest in public service and my legal background, the idea of going into social work uh, made sense to me. And there are different areas of social work. There's clinical, there's also policy and administrative type activities. And I was really more drawn to the policy side of social work given my legal background. And so I ended up um, leaving my job and I went to school to get a master of social work degree. I ended up at a state aging department and I worked there for several years and I was overseeing Older Americans Act programs and I became aware of the administration on aging, which eventually became the administration for community living. And I thought that might be an interesting place to work. Uh, And eventually a position opened up at ACL that I was able to apply for. And I started, that started my career at ACL. Wow. That's a great story. And I think an important story. I think, you know, so many people, you know, especially young people, you know, think, well, you go to school, you go to college and then you have a career. And I think that most careers are a combination of accident and intention, <laughs> right? I mean, you, you know, you start one way, but, you know, you evolve as a person, right? And, and right. I think that many people, you know, their first 20 years is, is a fine path. But then you realize, well, I'm changing. And then you start thinking about how you want to make a contribution in life. And, um, you know, I think that that's, uh, I think that more and more people are going to be doing what you do. Uh, I hope, you know, to, I to hope really, so yeah, to really think through life and, and recognize, well, that's just another chapter. And you may well have another chapter after this, you know, I mean, <laughs> I, mean I, I, I certainly have had a number of chapters and I think it's important for people to recognize that's what also keeps us vital is, is being in touch with what really motivates us and, and it, it recognize that it may change as we age. So, um, and, and it can be scary mm-hmm. um, to make this kind of a change and you need to decide for your own circumstances, what is right for you. Um, but I certainly would not want anyone to feel if they're in a, in some kind of career that they're not happy in um, that they can't change things and change their life. You spend so much time working um, it really would be great if people could enjoy what they do. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think that, yes, there's always risk. Every time you make a change, there's some risk involved. Mm-hmm. You don't know what's happening, going to happen exactly. But that's what life is about, <laughs> taking risks. Um, and as a, a colleague of mine told me uh, a little while ago, the, the goal in life is to 
is to keep making mistakes. Just keep making better ones. <laughs> exactly. And I will tell you, I had no idea what I was going to be able to do when I got that social work degree. And I had gone to school full time. I wasn't working. I really had absolutely no idea. But if you move forward, it just seems like opportunities open up for you if you're on the lookout for them. Right. That's the, that's the key is being on the lookout for them. That's true. That's true. So now is, uh, let's change our lookout to looking at uh, the ACL and its mission. Yes. So um, actually, my first guest uh, had on my show last year uh, was your predecessor in yeah. your job. And, uh, but it's been a year, more than a, almost a year and a half since then. So a lot's happened with ACL. And, but maybe we could just talk a little bit about, refresh people about, you know, the mission of the agency, uh, a little bit about how it, you know, it blends two different or similar communities. Uh, but you know, what, what are your goals? What's, what are the goals of the agency? Absolutely. That's a great place to start our conversation today. And I can't thank my predecessor enough um, for, she actually hired me <laughs> at ACL. Okay. Okay. Um, so she was, she's a great mentor to me. Uh, but so, uh, so let me just get to ACL's mission, which you mentioned it actually earlier when you were introducing the program today, but our mission is to maximize the independence well-being and health of older adults, people with disabilities across the lifespan, that means throughout their entire life, and their families and caregivers. And ACL was created, as you mentioned, I think also earlier on, around the fundamental principle that everybody, regardless of their age or disability, should be able to live independently and participate in their communities as much as they wish. We take a person-centered approach to things. Mm -hmm. We believe that everybody has the right to make their own choices and to control decisions about their lives. Right. No, I, okay. Uh, Go ahead. No, yeah, go ahead. I did want to mention, I mean, you asked me to talk a little bit about how we've evolved over the years and and how ACL started. So I do want to uh, talk about a couple things about that. So Mm -hmm. this year happens to be ACL's 10th anniversary. Right. We're actually a relatively young federal agency as, right. as those agencies go. If you like, I can go into a bit of our history and evolution. Sure. And I'll follow up with a couple of questions, but but absolutely, let's, let's do that first. Sure. So, of course, ACL was formed in 2012, actually in April of 2012, which, of course, is why we just had our 10-year anniversary. And it combined the Administration on Aging the Department of Health and Human Services Office on Disability, as well as the Administration on Developmental Disabilities. So those three offices were combined to form in the initial ACL. And then in 2014, we added to our portfolio the State Health Insurance Assistance Program. That's commonly known as SHIP, or in New York, it's known as the HICAP program. That program used to be with the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, but again, that was transitioned over to ACL in 2014. And that was followed in 2015 by the transfer of the National Institute on Disability, Independent Living, and rehabilitation research, as well as the independent living and assistive technology program to ACL from the Department of Education. And that same year, the Limb Loss Resource Center was transferred from CDC to ACL. Mm -hmm. And then finally, in 2016, Congress transferred the Traumatic Brain Injury Program from the Health Resources and Services Administration to ACL. So over time, we've added in mostly, you know, mainly some more programs focusing on disability. And, And you see, Ron, as one agency, 
we're better able to leverage knowledge and best practices to meet the similar needs of people with disabilities and older people. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, you know, uh, there, there are times when the consolidation and streamlining, um, you know, helps collaboration. And I think that this is a case where, you know, you folks have done that and, um, and it's done in, in sort of a, a step-by-step evolutionary way. Uh, I think for me, one of the important things is that, that the, the essence of your mission deals with a lot of things that Americans are worried about, which is, you know, they want to stay in their homes uh, or they want to age in place, whatever place that is, you know, sometimes the place is a different, a different geographical place. Sometimes it's a different kind of, uh, you know, residency. Um, but I think that, you know, that they, they need some guidance and tools about how to do this and what's available to, to help them do that. And I think that they, so they want to stay in their community, whatever that community is. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the, um, the misconceptions is that, you know, p- people, I think, especially now we're kind of, there are lots of questions about, well, what is the government doing? You know, and I think that to me, this is where the government really can be a partner in your life. You know, it's not saying the government is going to take care of you, but there are resources that we can share as communities. And um, I know that, you know, you uh, do a lot of partnering with local agencies, right? So you drive down the services. Talk a little bit about that. How, How do you work with the local, I guess they're called AAAs, right? Sure. I'm happy to talk about our Older Americans Act work, but I do want to mention before we get to that, what you were talking about um, supporting folks and everybody wants to age in place. I I do just want to mention some statistics for you that I think people will find interesting. So uh, by 2040, there are going to be about 80 million people in the United States who are 65 and older. That's more than twice as many people who are 65 and older as there were in in 2000. Right. That's a huge increase. And the 85 and older population is projected to more than double from 6.6 million in 2019 to more than 14 million in 2040. So we've got to find ways to support more and more people um, to age in place and, and, and stay at home. And a lot of the programs that ACL is focusing on, in particular, the Older Americans Act, which I'm going to get into in a second, because sure. we raised our area agencies on aging, our programs get at the social determinants of health. I've, I don't know if that's a term that, that you're familiar with, but those are social conditions that are seen as affecting people's health. Things like your degree of economic security, your access to education and health care, uh, what your neighborhood is like. Is there a lot of violence in your neighborhood? Do you have access to transportation? Do you have clean drinking water? Things like that. A lot of ACL's programs are getting at those social determinants of health. Social determinants of health, I've seen different estimates of anywhere from like six, or have determined something like 60 to 80% of your health of your overall health. And a lot of the work that our agencies are doing is getting at those social determinants of health. And that my friend is the Older Americans Act and our area agencies on aging. So I'm happy to talk to you about about those services and programs that we're doing that are helping people to age in place. Yeah, let's move on. Let's get to that, sure. Okay, so the Older Americans Act, of course, Uh, Funding comes from Congress to ACL. ACL then uh, distributes that funding based on population figures 
to the states and territories that participate in the Older Americans Act program. Each state has a state unit on aging. And then that state, in addition, in turn, distributes those funds to its area agencies on aging in order to provide services at the local level to folks. The idea is that it's the local provider agencies who are in the communities know best how to serve people in their communities. So we're pushing the funding down and it's the area agencies on aging who are contracting to provide the services in their communities. And in some cases, depending on the service, they may provide the service directly themselves. And I'm happy to talk to you about the variety of services that we provide. Sure, sure. We're gonna we're gonna take a break shortly, but why don't we start on that, and then uh, we'll continue after. But so let's let's give a couple of examples. Sure. Um, one example is, of course, I think our best known program, the Home Delivered Meal Program, mm-hmm. which is offered under under Title Three C of the Older Americans Act. We also have the Congregate Meal Program, where people go to senior centers and enjoy lunch together. Uh, under Title Three B of the Older Americans Act. We offer a variety of supportive services. There's a large laundry list of services that states and and AAAs are allowed to provide, and they select the services they want to provide. They provide in-home services and personal care services, uh, case management services, senior center activities, legal assistance, um, and a variety of other kinds of services for folks under Title III B. Good. Okay. So we're going to take a hold, hold that thought. Uh, We need to take a short break, but when we come back, we'll be talking much more with Rhonda Schwartz. So folks, uh, we'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. We live in a fully connected world and share digital information every day in our businesses, with our money, and even our health. I should know. My name is Tyler Cohen-Wood, and I'm a top cybersecurity expert and former U.S. Defense Intelligence Agency Senior Intelligence Officer. I know many technology secrets that keep our world safe, but I have a secret few people know. I suffer from a rare autoimmune disease that has no conventional cure. According to the National Institutes of Health, as many as 25 million Americans suffer from a rare undiagnosed condition. People with rare or hard to diagnose diseases often spend years being shuffled from doctor to doctor and specialist to specialist, feeling as if they're in an endless loop of siloed care that rarely gives answers to unexplained conditions. In 2018, I became one of these people. At the time, I had no idea that I would use my cybersecurity background to save my own life or that I was about to go through a tumultuous medical journey that would change the course of my life and in turn give me the opportunity to bring together my cybersecurity knowledge and my patient experience to change the business of digital health. On My Connected Life, Digital Health Disrupted, you'll hear how to better understand and improve your patient experience and keep your connected life safe. We'll talk about the latest digital trends that can keep the security of the entire healthcare ecosystem and our data secure and within our control. The business of digital health is our business, and it's time we learn to own it. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. 
You're listening to 45 Forward. To reach Ron Roel or his guest on the program, please send an email to ron.roel at gmail.com. That's ron.roel at gmail.com. Now back to 45 Forward. Welcome back, folks. We're talking today with Rhonda Schwartz, the Regional Administrator for Region 2 of the Administration for Community Living, which includes New York, New Jersey, Puerto Rico, and the U.S. Virgin Islands for our area. So, um, of course, there are different regions around the country, and a lot of their correlate administrators in different regions. Uh, so before the break, uh, we were talking around about various services that uh, ACL provides and how it, it, it these services are driven down through local agencies to the local levels and, and local organizations. Uh, we were talking about, you know, the delivery of uh, home delivered meals and congregate meals, which is a, a big deal. I think people don't realize, um, you know, there, there, there is, a, there is a definitely a need among seniors, not only in terms of the accessibility of food and the cost of food these days, which has gone up tremendously, but the availability and the delivery of them. And it's been a, a a major um, uh, issue too uh, with the pandemic because a lot of these programs have been uh, temporarily suspended. So talk to me, Ron, about, you know, how you folks have have dealt with the pandemic because a lot of the programs we had originally face-to-face, how have you adapted and, and made changes in the programs? I'm happy to talk about that, Ron. And I, I want to start out by telling you how proud I am of the heroic efforts on the part of our aging network in getting services to folks during this pandemic. It was, as I said, nothing short of heroic. They really did have done an amazing job. And you mentioned meals. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, of, of course, our congregate meal sites all had to shut down during the initial stages of the pandemic. And many of them are still not, you know, fully functioning in, in their right. former iterations. And we, we needed to get meals to people. Um, there were people who were socially isolating, who perhaps at an, in another time might have gone to a restaurant or to a congregate meal site. And we needed to get food to these people. They needed to get nutrition. And so our, our program shifted and greatly increased the number of home delivered meals that were served. And I just want to give you some statistics because it's mm-hmm. really, I think it's really incredible. So in 2019, our network served just under about 150 million home delivered meals. In 2021, that number had increased to 226 million wow. home delivered meals. And in terms of people served, in 2019, we served approximately 880,000 people uh, in the home delivered meal program. That had increased to about one and a half million people in 2021. And our network was able to accomplish this. Wow. And I'd love to tell you, like, th- there was this really interesting um, in- innovation that many of them came up with that I think sure. you'll find very interesting. So, you know, of course, during the initial stages of the pandemic, restaurants uh, were shutting down or they were just doing takeout meals. They were really struggling and really right. needed revenue. And by the same token, at the same time, our area agencies on aging and our food providers, they needed to greatly increase their capacity. They were having capacity issues. Mm-hmm. So in many parts of the country, our network partnered with restaurants. 
And the restaurants provided catering services for our programs. And that's how many of our programs were able to meet this need. So that's an example that shows a really great innovation that helped our program and also helped the restaurant industry. So I was really proud of that. I thought that was a great innovation on the part of our programs. Yeah. It seems to me that some of these can be adapted in the future. I mean, I I know that, um, you know, as, as rough it, as it has been with the pandemic, you know, certainly you cannot minimize the loss of life. Um, but uh, at the same time, there, there were a few silver linings and certain things we learned about, you know, how to move forward with, you know, what is now known as a hybrid life. Yeah. And I think that, um, you know, it has enabled us to, you know, to, to reach out to people uh, who previously were kind of marginalized by the fact that they couldn't get to location sometimes. Um, so let, let's talk a little bit more about that in terms of the, the issues of social isolation, because that certainly you've you've developed some innovative workarounds in that capacity. Are there other things that that you've done in that in that like that? And you know, I know in in and with the Older Americans Month too, you, there's a special focus too on social isolation. Talk about you know how you're dealing with that for for both you know people uh, in the disabilities community, as well as the older Americans uh, community. Right. Well, in so for um, innovations that have been developed as, as part of the pandemic, other things that were something related, I would say, to the meals program is we, we developed this grab and go meal concept. Oh, so nice. people could go to the site where they normally would get a congregate meal and take that meal home with them. Um, So that was an innovation that I think is probably going to continue in some uh, shape or form um, going forward. And especially as, you know, as this pandemic or endemic or whatever situation that we're in, things are different. As you said, there's a new normal. So there will be times when having that kind of a system set up, a grab and go meal kind of concept may be something that is appropriate. Some of our agencies did uh, virtual congregate meals. So folks Mm. would enjoy their meal together virtually. Mm -hmm. Lots of different um, activities were developed. Wellness checks, telephone reassurance calls, teleconferencing with folks like case management services perhaps provided um, over via tablet or, or, or via a teleconference. Some of our agencies were able to provide tablets to folks and to teach them how to use them so folks could connect. There were also some really low tech things that were done Hmm. that were very simple, that were great to do. For example, drive-by car parades, just (laughs) to let folks know that you still were aware of them or doing bingo over the telephone. Um, I heard of a AAA that provided seeds to older adults with instructions so they could do their own gardening and grow gardens um, at their homes. Those for those folks who had that ability to do that. So there were lots of different ideas that folks came up with, even, um, uh, one agency I heard of delivered vases of flowers to to women on Mother's Day, so oh, that's people great. so that people would know they're still thinking of them. And these telephone wellness checks, um, those have really uh, people have really liked those. They like hearing from someone. They like knowing that someone is calling them. That's been an interesting innovation that folks like knowing that they're being checked up on. Yeah, and also ACL at the national level. Mm-hmm. developed something called the Commit to Connect campaign. Uh-huh. 
And that's very interesting. So ACL wanted to tackle the challenge of isolation, both for the pandemic, but for the future, not just for the, for the pandemic, but beyond. So ACL has partnered with other partners from the federal government, from the aging and disability networks, from uh, philanthropy and from uh, industry. And they've created this campaign called the Commit to Connect campaign. And the hope is to build a nationwide network of folks to collaborate on solutions to help us reach more people. Um, there's hope to develop an online uh, tool that people can use to access resources and services and to develop partnerships across government. On our website, if you go to the Commit to Connect section of our website, you can find ideas that have been submitted to ACL from different places for how to fight social isolation, resources and services that are available out there, and even assessment tools that people can use uh, to assess if someone is at risk of loneliness or depression. Yeah, that's great. So give us the uh, the URL for that website. That's it. Oh, that I don't know. You'd have okay. to go to acl.gov right. and just in the search, put in commit to connect. Okay, well, that's the way to do it, acl.gov. acl.gov, yeah. That's good enough. And then people can, can log on and look for that uh, commit to connect um, or just search for that and they'll find it. Good. Sure. Yeah, because that's really critical. Um, you know, and I think that it's, you know, this recognition about social isolation and connection is, is really critical. I've done some shows on this. Um, and I think that, um, you know, there, there, I guess there, there are just a number of components. I think, first of all, I, I don't think, again, I, I think the pandemic, for better or worse, helped us focus on social isolation and also issues of mental health that were, were, were always there, but really were highlighted and uh, basically spotlighted by the pandemic and yep. the, the importance of social connection. I mean, I think that, you know, one of the um, perhaps not uh, much thought about uh, aspects of uh, th there's also been a huge surge in, in, in uh, financial fraud and scams. Right. And, and, and some of that I think is unfortunately attributed to the fact that when people, you know, especially seniors, or lonely get calls from people, it's like someone is calling them. And, you know, unfortunately, it's someone who was involved in a scam. Uh, but I think that's, uh, you know, they're, they're receptive to those kinds of calls, uh, where, whereas if you had other ways of social connection, that's an important component to kind of, you know, at least, you know, have a check on that kind of activity. That's an interesting point, that if people you know, weren't so desperate for a connection, maybe they wouldn't be so susceptible to fraud. And you're right, there does seem to be a lot of that going on, in particular with scammers uh, committing fraud regarding Medicare, trying to get your Medicare information. Exactly. Yeah. I heard this morning of some scam where people are being called and are being told that their Medicare cards because of the pandemic are going to be replaced with plastic Medicare yeah. cards. And so the scammers are trying to get their information yeah. that way. So that is an issue. And I do want to mention, Ron, just yeah. I want to mention. So the the Older Americans Act is sensitive to these issues and the concerns about social isolation. I just want to mention in the 2020 reauthorization of the Older Americans Act, mm -hmm. screening for suicide risk and screening for the negative health effects associated with social isolation. That's a hard phrase to pronounced, right. um, were added to the definition of disease prevention and health promotion services that can be provided under the Older Americans Act. And in addition, mental and behavioral health screenings, as well as screenings for the negative health effects associated 
with social isolation are permitted uses of Title III B funds under the Older Americans Act. So they have, there has been an attempt to, you know, update the Older Americans Act to address these issues as well. And I don't know if you want to talk about Older Americans Month because you mentioned yes, that. Yes, I will. Uh, just before we get move on yeah. to that, I just wanted to mention, yeah, so who, who makes use of these funds? Is it, again, programs uh, at, at the local level, the local agencies? Right. So these would be AAAs, the Area Agencies on Aging, making the decisions about the services they're going to provide at the local level. Right, right. Yeah, I think those are really critical, too, because I think, once again, um, uh, you know, there, there are lots of um, studies that, uh, are beginning to show the relationship between social isolation and uh, lifespan, longevity. You yeah. know, we don't know the exact components leading to what, but we know that that those who are in social isolation don't live as long. You know, so I mean, I think that it's, you know, it's it's a it's a real phenomenon that is that we're starting to quantify the importance of it. As you as you pointed out, the social determinants of health. You know, yeah. what sorts of things contribute to our overall health not just our medical well-being. Um, right. And did you know today is Older Adult Mental Health Awareness Day? No, I did not. Okay. So that was started in 2018. Okay. Um, and ACL partners with the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration to present the Older Adult Mental Health Awareness Day Symposium. It actually is happening right now. Right, <laughs> right. It's finishing up Yeah, today. yeah. And, and I think, too, one of the things that's become clear, too, is for a lot of reasons, where we're starting to connect the the mental health issues of both older people and younger people that there the many of these stressors are on, you know, especially folks in their teens and twenties. So I think that this intergenerational connection has been, has brought a, a focus on these mental health issues that I think in many helpful ways destigmatize de- these issues and 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 make them the funding available um, and awareness available. Um, so, um, so now, as you just mentioned, let's let's transition to looking at um, uh, the uh, Older Americans Month and some of the activities and opportunities people have to participate. I'm happy to do that. So I'm Great. very excited. I like this year's theme. You mentioned it earlier. Um, it's Age My Way, um, and so every May, the Administration for Community Living Meet Living leads our nation's observance of Older Americans Month, Mm -hmm. and each year ACL provides the theme. Um, And so this year, as you mentioned earlier, also we're focusing on aging in place. Mm -hmm. So how older adults can plan to stay in their homes and live independently in their communities for as long as possible. And I think the 2022 theme is very aptly named Age My Way. Um, it It presents an opportunity for us to explore the many ways older adults can remain in and stay connected to their communities. Now, I just want to point out to you some information here. According to data from ACL's 2020 profile right. of older Americans, this is some data to think about as we think about aging in place. 20% of men and more than 30% of women over the age of 65 live alone. Mm. And more than 60% of women over the age of 85 live alone. And 30% of women over the age of 65 are widowed. Mm-hmm. And 40% of people 65 and over have some difficulty with mobility. Right. And so, Ron, at some point in our lives, something like 60% of us are going to need help with mm-hmm. things like getting dressed, getting to appointments, or making meals for ourselves. Most of us who turn 65 are going to should expect to need some form 
of long-term care assistance at some point in our lives, but most of us have not started to save for that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And are there things that um, ACL does in terms of, you know, um, helping people understand this issue and communicating with them or then communicating with potential partners or p- people in the, in the news media? Uh, when you, when you talk about the, the, uh, the need for planning and saving for mm-hmm. long-term care, certainly we do have resources uh, on our website mm-hmm. that address these topics and our area agencies on aging through their funding under the older Americans act, they can provide assistance to folks in these planning services. Yeah, so I think that's important for people to know that, to reach out. And because uh, I think one of the issues is um, that there are lots of uh, resources available through a whole assortment of, of agencies. But one of the things that I've found over the years is that that you, you, know, you, you receive funding for staffing, for research, for programs. But <laughs> one of the areas that you don't receive much funding for is communications and outreach. And so people need to be aware of them, you know, and, and, and be somewhat proactive in finding out what your local um, agency on aging is, you know, in, in our, you know, in my area, you know, it's on a county level. Um, but you can find out to it by going to your, often your local senior center and finding out from, from there uh, what the funding is, where you get in information. And, and I, I think that, that senior centers, again, are, are resources that people think, oh, senior center, yeah, well, I'll go there sometime. They've become quite robust in terms of what they can do and, and in terms of their coordinating about providing programs and information and, and partnering with local libraries. So, um, so I want to talk, we'll talk more about that, uh, but we're going to take another quick break. So folks, uh, don't go anywhere again. Once again, we'll have one more uh, terrific segment coming up. Uh, as we conclude our conversation with Rhonda Schwartz. So don't go anywhere. Come right back. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. Tune in to Melody Edmondson's The Space of the Waste radio program. This companion piece to her successful guidebook series, The Space of the Waste, focuses on body types and how to make your waist length flattering, no matter what your body type is. Guests include designers, merchandise managers, factory owners, and more. You'll also find out what accessories will complement your body shape and waist length. Tune in every Tuesday at noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Variety. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Tune in every Friday to get your weekend kickoff early. Join the legendary G. Keith Alexander for What's Hot Harlem America. The flagship show of the new Harlem America Digital Network has something for everyone. 
From the latest in entertainment to empowerment, health and wellness, and more, we'll bring you a variety of fresh viewpoints, voices, and ideas. What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander can be heard every Friday at 1 p.m. in New York and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to 45 Forward. To reach Ron Roel or his guest on the program, please send an email to ron.roel at gmail.com. That's ron.roel at gmail.com. Now back to 45 Forward. Welcome back, folks. Again, we're talking with Rhonda Schwartz, a uh, regional administrator for the Administration uh, for Community Living. And uh, before the, uh, the break, we were talking to Rhonda about, um, you know, the agencies leading uh, Older Americans Month and some of the activities uh, that uh, it involves. So uh, I wanted to continue along those lines and ask uh, Rhonda about some of the programs and some of the things that people should watch out for. Now, for the May is Older Americans Month, so we still have another month to go, and certainly we can continue looking at these issues beyond May. Oh, happy to talk about that, Ron. Thank you. These programs that you would see for Older Americans uh, Americans Month generally would be happening at the local level and the mm-hmm. regional level, so folks should reach out to their local senior center to see what activities are, are going on in their community. But I do want to mention there are four main elements of our theme of Age My Way this year. So, and they're pretty important. So I wanna just go through each one. The first is engagement. And we have focused on that in different aspects today. That is remaining involved in your community and contributing to your community through work or through volunteering or other some other kind of civic participation opportunity. And of course, connection, as we've mentioned earlier, connection is so important to your health. Maintaining social activities and relationships to combat social isolation and stay connected in your your community. And then accessibility is important. Making home improvements and modifications using assistive technologies and customizing supports to help you to better age in place and stay in your home. And then finally, and perhaps most importantly, planning. Thinking, think about what you'll need and about what you'll want. Again, not just about what you'll need, but what do you want in the future? What do you want your future to look like from home and community-based services to activities that interest you to financial and estate planning? All of these things are important. And all of these elements, engagement, connection, accessibility, and planning, they all play a role in aging in place. And what everybody needs and prefers is unique. What each person wants and needs is going to be unique. And so at ACL, we would like to see everybody being able to age in each person's own way. Right, right. And I think, you know, apropos of, of my show and my my theme of 45 forward, I think it's important uh, to start thinking about these, you know, earlier in life. Um, I think um, many people may be thinking about it at midlife because they're they're caring for older parents and are looking at some of the issues that you mentioned before about the need for long-term care. But indeed, um, uh, as you mentioned, um, preparing is important um, in terms of foreseeing what you want it to look like. And I think there's a process, I think it's called often called reverse engineering, oh. sort of, which is that you basically say, well, 
okay, what do I want my life to look like at 65 or 75? And then what do I need to do now to make sure that happens, that vision comes true? So I think that the planning part of it, you know, you don't have to plan it all at once, but start making some steps to do so. And I think that, uh, you know, in, in many cases, um, people are um, kind of triggered by looking ahead and seeing what their parents are going through. But there's no reason you can't do uh, concurrently think about them and thinking about yourself. Um, and uh, so I, and I think this is something that, again, you and I've talked about, too, this mm-hmm. element of another what these uh, these four things you mentioned involved, too, is, is the increasing uh, importance of caregiving in our society. And, you know, years ago, I think there was certainly, a, especially as women uh, entered the workplace more and more, the notion that there was, you know, the work and family balance and, and uh, you know, childcare. And now, of course, you know, and we talk about the sandwich generation, right? People who are taking care of kids and taking care of older parents. And I think that, um, and what I have uh, sort of uh, coined is the, going from the sandwich generation to the club sandwich generation, <laughs> which is that uh, you get now older people taking care of even older people. And I know that this is the, so you have uh, parents that are elderly and you're, yeah. so tell us a little bit about your caregiving experience and how you've dealt with that. Well, I've actually been pretty fortunate. My, my parents are 89 and 91. Wow. Um, but they've, they've been pretty self-sufficient. So while I need to assist them with things like, you know, the household activities and things like that and um, going shopping, there's, there's a lot that my parents fortunately are able to do for themselves. So I am able to work and to provide my caregiving duties. But I think there are a lot of people who are not as fortunate as I am as a caregiver. And there's so much stress on caregivers. Uh, some people have to leave their jobs um, it's, it's, some people have to move to different parts of the country to take care of their, to take care of their aging parents. The stress on caregivers is extreme. And I think the pandemic has only exacerbated that something like more than 50 million people, I believe are providing caregiving assistance to loved ones in an unpaid informal manner. And the value right. of that is into the billions of dollars. They are the backbone right. of our caregiving workforce. And right. as we want, as we, and this is Ron, is kind of bringing us back to the start of our conversation. People want to stay home. They want to live in their homes. They want to um, have as fulfilling a life as they can. And this is, you know, caregivers are helping our older relatives to stay in their homes. You know, it's, I, I'm curious if you have an idea what percentage of people in the United States actually live in nursing homes? I don't have that figure. No, I'm not. Uh, so tell me. <laughs> it's actually very, it's a very small number. Mm-hmm. Only two, just over 2% of uh, the po- older adult population live in nursing homes. Of, of, that would be people 65 and older. Right. Only just over 2.2%. It, the percentage increases with age, so for people, um, six, oh, actually it's 1% for people 65 to 74, it's 2% for people 75 to 84, and then 8% for people over the age of 85. But most people are living in the community and 
thank goodness that's that's where they want to be and that's where our families want to help them be and again the the unpaid informal caregiver is the backbone of our caregiving workforce in this country right yeah i think that there you know, there has been a lot of attention on nursing homes and i i think um also because of the the pandemic right i mean they were yeah. they, they were shut down people were not able to see their elderly loved ones there were some issues, uh, well, in where I live in, in New York about, you know, underreporting of numbers um, of COVID deaths and so forth. Some unfortunate statistics. But as you point out, um, I mean, the idea is, um, and, and nursing homes have a specific purpose too. I mean, it's when people really are medically unable to stay in their homes uh, for various reasons. So, um uh, you know, so there's an important reason for, for why they exist. Oh, absolutely. Um, and, uh, but, but as you said, the number is smaller than people think. Um, and I think, uh, you know, one of the issue too, is that it's expensive. So people can, you know, the, the, the better options to figure out ways that they can stay in their homes. So they, obviously there are other opportunities to where uh, group homes or assisted living uh, communities. So there, there are more options these days, I think that people have, and I think more options for uh, different ways to stay in their community, um, you know, whether it's sometimes sharing homes between seniors and younger people. Um, so there are more options. Um, uh, but I think that, um, you know, the, the overall issue is, is how do you keep doing this um, and, and how do you uh, find a way uh, to sort of normalize it, you know, and, 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 and I guess the last thing that I want to mention with respect is, you know, as you, as you were mentioned earlier, Rhonda, I mean, the stress on people is, can be enormous. Um, what, what makes it difficult? Well, often it's because someone may be living in New York where I am, but their parents are in North Carolina or in Arizona or in Florida. So you have long distance issues about taking care of your parents. Um, and that's where I think people really, in terms of planning, need to think about organizations and agencies like yours that because that, that's what you know in terms of uh one of the things i, I know you've talked about is uh, is the issue of self-care right you know how do you how caregivers take care of themselves and one of the critical things is being aware of other resources that can help you you know you're exactly. not alone yeah yeah and i'm happy to share some of those that we can provide for folks sure. yeah absolutely um, so first is our National Family Caregiver Support Program, Great. and that service is provided under Title III-E of the Older Americans Act. So that would be provided through our AAA network um, throughout the country. And under that program, um, education, training, caregiver support services and counseling services are provided, and all, the all-important respite service is provided. So that's a service that gives a break to caregivers. And so that service is provided to caregivers of any age of older adults, or it, it could be someone under age 60 if they have Alzheimer's or a related dementia. But also that service is provided to older adult relatives who are caring for children Mm -hmm. And for certain uh, younger adults with, with certain disabilities who meet the, the Older Americans Act requirements. So for the caregiver, of, older relative caregiver of a child, it can't be their parent, but it could be another older relative uh, related by blood. Right. Or, or some other relationship to the child. Right, right. And again, people find out about these, these um, programs 
can they find out about it by going to acl.gov uh, or, or would it be faster to go to their local agencies? I think the best way to find out about how the program is being delivered in your community is to go to your senior center or to your area agency on aging. We also offer other uh, services of Ron's. So we have what's called a lifespan respite care program. That's a discretionary grant program. So not every state has it. They have to apply for it. And it is a competitive mm-hmm. grant program. But that also is a program offering respite services to caregivers across the lifespan. So that's caregivers of people of all ages. So that includes children and older adults with, with certain disabilities. Can, and it's caregivers of children with, with, dis, with serious disabilities. But that's another program that's out there. And then another thing I want to mention sure. um, is in 2021, ACL delivered two reports to Congress on issues facing family caregivers and recommendations for addressing them. One was under the RAISE Act, mm-hmm. and RAISE stands for Recognize, Assist, Include, Support, and Engage Family Caregiver Act. And the, and the other report was supporting grandparents raising grandchildren's report. So that was under the Supporting Grandparents Raising Grandchildren's Act. Mm-hmm. And under these two acts, ACL developed advisory committees that worked with ACL over a period of time to develop these recommendations. And ACL is now working with those advisory councils and with other federal partners to develop a national caregiving strategy which will be delivered to Congress this fall, or it's due to be delivered to Congress this fall, I should say. And I do want to point out, Ron, if folks are looking, if you're a caregiver in one part of the country and your loved one is somewhere else, please feel free to reach out to the Elder Care Locator. Mm -hmm. That is a national hotline that connects older adults and their caregivers to services and resources throughout the U.S. So the Elder Care Locator, you can find it online uh, just by entering Elder Care Locator into a search. I also have the phone number for that if you'd like me to share sure, that. Folks well sure. call. Mm-hmm. It's 800-677-1116. Okay. Great. That's a great, great service. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, there's a lot more to talk about, but unfortunately, we're going to have to leave it there for today, Rhonda. Um, you know, I, I know we'll invite you back for another show. You have lots of ideas about aging in general. Uh, I think that many of us have th- had, had time to think about during the pandemic and have, and have changed some of our priorities, and including um, uh, us. I know you, you and me about you know deciding you know even to continue dyeing our hair and, and basically. <laughs> embracing our aging. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, I'd love to come back and talk more. Sure. Sure. But anyway, um, so thanks so much for a great conversation, Rhonda. And I want to tell folks again, if, if you miss, uh, if they tell your friends, if they miss my conversation with Rhonda, you can listen to it as a podcast on voiceamerica.com. Search for my show 45 forward. You can also go to my website, rowellresources.com and just click on the 45 forward tab. And you can listen to Rhonda's show, as well as uh, a whole list of my other shows over the last year or so. So, folks, uh, be sure to join me next Monday, 12 noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern time, when I'll be talking with Sherry Coons, who will talk about an intriguing trend in housing, especially for older families. They're called tiny homes, or sometimes a bit bigger than tiny, but smaller than average. So, folks, until then, keep moving forward, 45 forward. Thank you for tuning in to 45 Forward. Please join your host, Ron Roel, for another great show next Monday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We wish you a great week.